experts in engineering and manufacturing solutions that meet the industry's water needs. This is The Intake, a podcast hosted by Atlas SSI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Intake brought to you by Atlas SSI. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Now, for today's episode, we're chronicling a day in the life of a commercial diver. For many projects, Atlas SSI field service crews handle like turnkey removal, installations, on-site repairs, and underwater inspections and adjustments. They require commercial diving skills. So what does this kind of work look like and what are the skills needed to service commercial screens and intake equipment? And what are some of the craziest stories from the field? So we're going to get a deep dive on all things commercial diving in Atlas SSI's world. And I'd like to welcome Robert Marr, a.k.a. Utah, commercial diver and field service supervisor for Atlas SSI. Robert, or Utah, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. And we also have... Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to uh, to have this conversation with you today. I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating. And uh, we also have Ford Wall, VP of sales for Atlas SSI. Welcome to the show, Ford. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. I am as well. I am as well. So, uh, Utah, let's let's start off here, just because I'm absolutely fascinated by what you do and and how you do it. So, um, how did you find yourself in this line of work as a diver? Well, it's pretty straightforward, actually. I had a friend who asked me point blank one day if I wanted to go to school to be an underwater welder, and I said, "Yeah, that sounds incredible. I want to go to school to be an underwater welder." So, um, I made arrangements and, uh, saved a bunch of money, took about, oh, a year and a half to two years. And I went to dive school in Houston, Texas, which lasted eight and a half months. And, uh, I went to work in the Gulf of Mexico doing, uh, deep water oil field diving directly after that. And, um, through a series of events that led me to my current place of employment. I've been here for uh, 15 years. Wow. Now, was diving something that you were always interested in? Uh, was that something that you had done before? Or was this kind of an out-of-the-blue thing where your friend is like, hey, let's go do this? And you're like, yep, okay, sounds good. It was a little bit of both. It was something I'd always been interested in. But, uh, you know, I was from Utah, hence the nickname. <laughs> and um, I didn't even know that there was uh, a school, per se, to get uh, to get my foot in the door. And um, so when he asked, I bit. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And it seems like uh, certainly a, uh, a job that, that keeps you on your toes, that has a lot of adventure and, and that sort of thing in it. And so uh, my next question uh, is, how does commercial diving really uh, work and fit into Atlas SSI's on-site service offering? You know, how, how does this all come together? And is this a common service in the industry? Well, I would say um, from my standpoint, it is, it is common, but it's not common in the way that we do it. And by that, I mean, we, this is what we do for a living. We specialize in this. In all aspects of diving is related to traveling water screens and servicing our equipment in the power generation industry, chemicals, water treatment. And it's because we're so specialized that I think that, that we stand out. And, and I'll jump in there on that, on, on uh, it, it just for a bit of history, uh, we were in the manufacturing business, and we built this specialized equipment that goes into raw water intakes at power plants, drinking water facilities, and and in in order to work on those, you have to have uh, a dive crew. Mm-hmm. And so we, in the early years, we would uh, 
if we were doing an install, we would have to subcontract a dive crew and, 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 and bring them in. And, and so you're using a subcontractor. You didn't always get experienced people. So in the early 90s, we decided maybe we needed to look at having our own in-house dive crews. And so it was, we kind of started out doing it as a necessary evil. And then as, as we, what we saw out there is to be able to send a specialized, a person that understands screens, the, the industry just embraced it. And, and, and it just kind of took off like wildfire for us. And in our, and we got, we were really well known for the fact that we had divers. And the unique thing is, is that when they're on a job and, and you're talking, correct me, but, but a lot of times they only dive maybe 10% of the time on a project. So what these guys really are is they're, they're specialized. They, they, they well, they're, they're like millwrights, the mechanics, and they do a lot of things. And, but in order to do their job, they have to be able to maybe go down and dive maybe sometimes 15 minutes to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Other times they may stay in the water eight hours a day. So it, it fit into our offering and, and it ended up being almost a sales tool because these guys are out there in front of the customer every day and, 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 and uh, they're having the, the dialogue and, and they just became something that, that, uh, that we were known for. And, and uh, when you ask people about Atlas SSI, almost always our service crews come up. Absolutely. And, you know, Ford, what you mentioned there, just about that that story of deciding to kind of bring that operation in-house, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, rather than subcontracting it out, you know, bring people in-house that you trust and that you feel confident going out and representing the company, right? And really having that expertise and knowing exactly what a customer is going to need and want, right? So that seems to really elevate what you're able to offer. That's right. And, and you know, our culture has always been one of, of service, and I don't mean field service. We, we try to he- help the customer in every aspect what they what they need. And so as a result, guys like Utah and our other divers out there, we have about we have about anywhere to four to six service crews at all the time. So they're the face of our company. So, uh, you know, we don't, we don't brag on them enough. We don't, we don't, uh, sometimes give them the kudos that they deserve, but you know, they're the ones that are out there sometimes handling the little problems and, and doing things that, that, uh, in the face of the customer and, and, and they do an outstanding job. So I, I do want to take the opportunity to thank those guys because they're out there every day on the front and they, they don't, they don't get home much. They work a lot of hours all over the country. Absolutely. Oh, well, I thank you for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I think this is a great opportunity to thank those guys and to really, you know, appreciate the work that they do here on a here on a podcast. And you know, I, I want to hear a little bit more uh, Utah from your perspective uh, because we heard Ford mention some of the things that you do when you're on site. But what do what are drivers capable of doing on site, and what are some of the jobs that that, that typically arise? Well, that's an excellent question, and uh, I would say that we're capable of pretty much anything. Anything that we can do, well, most everything we can do topside, we can do underwater. Um, we do installations, all kinds of maintenance, really rather complicated underwater repairs, the, even if it includes welding, inspections, video inspections, topside visual inspections, anything that the customer wants, we can do. The uh, limiting factors would be time and resources. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, when it, when it comes to, to those things and, and Ford, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier, just having this in-house diving crew and the fact that that really kind of 
took off in the industry and was really something that that people sought after. Uh, you know, is this one of the primary differentiators for Atlas SSI when it comes to what you guys do and what you're able to provide? I think I think so. I think it definitely is because we really we're the only the screening uh, traveling screen company out there that has in-house field service crews. Now, there are some that say they do. But, but for the most part, they subcontract those. So it, it is just a part of our DNA to do this. Um, it does differenti- it differentiate us from, from everybody, everyone else. So we've had a lot of people try to mimic that, mm. and, and they just cannot. So it's definitely who we are. Yeah, and I think that, I think that as we talk about that, that really it, it illustrates your – uh, adherence to that idea, like what you were speaking of earlier, of always wanting to provide the best service for customers. And so you ask yourself, how can we do this? And you have this in-house as, as an offering to your customers and you feel confident in it. So I think that that as a differentiator makes a lot of sense given the values you were speaking to earlier, just of serving your customers and making sure that you can help them with whatever it is that they need help with. That's right. Absolutely. So Utah, I want to talk through uh, some safety aspects of what you do because uh, when I hear underwater welding and when I hear diving and things like that, I, I think that uh, there are certainly some some things that you go through, some processes that you take to make sure that you uh, you maintain the utmost safety in every uh, job that you do. Uh, so kind of walk us through some of the safety checks that you have to make before you start a diving project. Right, so it starts with uh, planning. Before I ever get to the site, before we ever break the water, we make a solid plan, and then we dive that plan, right? Uh, If we encounter something that's not going to be within the scope of that plan, we back out, we reassess, we change the plan to make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, On a day-to-day basis, um, I I need properly functioning equipment, both everything that we're going to be using actively and all our standby equipment, all our reserve equipment and emergency equipment all needs to be checked out before every dive. We just really need everything to function correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, a man's life is on the line every break, every time we break the surface of the water. So it's incredibly important that we follow our pre-dive checklist to the letter. If anything's out of the ordinary, we address it. Hey, Utah, just so, just for the sake of everyone's knowledge, when you say diver, so many people picture scuba diving. Uh, and so you, we only do hard hat diving. Would you kind of go through the equipment on that and what all it takes and what it means and from safety, why we do that, communications, hot water, kind of go through all that. Right. So, so we use surface applied air as our mode of diving. Um, scuba diving is, it has its limitations. Your entire world is contained in a bottle on your back and a mask on your face. And uh, for most circumstances, it's just not acceptable. So by surface applied air, I mean, we have uh, a compressor that supplies us air topside. It um, sends us air and communications and hot water down to an umbilical that attaches both to our body and to a helmet. Um, There's a few different styles of helmets out there. I have stainless steel helmets that are really durable we have hot water for diving in cold water situations. Um, we treat that as life support. On our backs, we have a diver-carried reserve breathing cast or uh, a bailout, if you will. That's for emergency situations. So at any given point in time, I've got air coming to me from a compressor. One or two compressors run on top side. Then I've got about eight hours of uh, standby air in a bottle sitting next to the dive station. And um, then I've got another source of air on my back. 
right? So that's that's some of the gear that we use. And and also standing on the top side is a is a diver fully equipped with all his gear ready to get in the water in case of an emergency. And and we're talking about including radios, communication, everything. We have to double up on everything as a safety issue. So um, and then and then our guys also spend. Um, Utah probably knows better than me, but we spend hours every year uh, in OSHA 10, OSHA 30, uh, site-specific classes. So they, they spend a good bit of their time on continuing education, pro- probably uh, weekly basis on, on getting certified in different uh, areas of, of safety to, to be able to, to keep doing what they do. That's absolutely correct. Absolutely. That's uh, that's fantastic. And I really like that continuing education aspect of things because things are always evolving, things are always changing, and it's always good to reaffirm the things that you know and kind of refresh those things already in your mind and to learn new things as well. And so I think that that's, that's a great way to approach what you do and approach the industry. So uh, Utah, from your perspective, what do, you, what do you have to know as a diver to perform your job correctly? So what kind of knowledge do you have uh, that allows you to do your job to the best of your abilities? I need to know what my customers' goals are. I need to know, well, I need to have a knowledge of both the system or piece of equipment that I'm doing work or maintenance on, but I also need to know um, how the system functions overall, right? From start to finish the water handling process through the entire plant, just because having a good overall picture helps me focus on what I'm doing and how it affects the system overall. And then um, there's a lot of other fields of knowledge that come into play with mm-hmm. uh, with tools, mechanics, rigging, welding, machine work. We, we do it all. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to ask specifically because you guys mentioned underwater welding earlier. So you obviously have to have some kind of training and, and expertise and knowledge in, in how to weld, right? You know, along with the other things like you mentioned. Yes. So we... As commercial divers, most of us in the schools that we go to, we have a, a specific module on underwater welding and on topside welding. So I learned to weld at dive school, topside, and some underwater. I increased those skills when I worked offshore, and it just carries over in, into this job. You know, there's more jobs than not where we're doing topside welding. We carry that down into the water. Um, it's pretty specific and specialized um, knowledge and work, mm-hmm. uh, but it can be done safely. It can be extremely challenging because we're talking about welding underwater mm-hmm. uh, in the dark with zero visibility by feel. Wow. Wow. So I, I was, I was going to ask, just kind of based mainly on my own curiosity, just what the difference, what are some of the key differences in welding topside versus welding underwater? But it sounds like, you know, that, that lack of visibility is obviously a major differentiator. Yeah, that's, that's the main differentiator. Well, and um, hmm, it's not the, the only one. Obviously, topside welding is done visually, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and underwater, it's more intensive as far as prep work goes everything has to fit perfectly and it's all done by feel wow that is that is absolutely amazing to me that you guys are able to do that sort of thing um now we've 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 walked through the various 
um, you know, some of the safety measures that you guys take and how there are, you know, air redundancies and, and uh, you, you have all of these preparations and all of these checklists to make things, make sure things go well when it comes to safety. When it comes to, uh, you're going to a site and, and you're going to go, you know, visit a customer, what can the customer do to prepare for a service crew visit? What does, what does that look like and how can they best prepare for you arriving on site um, to make sure that everything goes as smoothly as possible? Well, a lot of that depends on what I'm, I'm going there for, right? Um, I appreciate if the customer has drawings available in case I need them. They'll you know, have their tags, their clearances ready and walked down. I may or may not need a piece of equipment to be in operation or um, I, I may need it to operate. So it's important that we're on the same page with their requirements and my requirements before I ever get there, uh, just, just as a time-saving opportunity. I think a lot of times when we uh, arrive on a job site, uh, the, the, the plant knows we have the capabilities to dive. Um, and, and some plants understand this, the safety aspect of it. But a lot of times when you, when you dive, the plant immediately uh, begins to ask all the questions they should have asked mm. two weeks ago <laughs> sure. before the job started. And then so you begin to bring the safety guy in and you bring this guy in and they begin to ask questions, well, we need this form and this form. So, so, so a lot of times, and a lot of plants are great about this, a lot of plants are not. Um, and, and so you could save a lot of time by answering a lot of those questions up front. I mean, we have a pre-dive checklist. A lot of those want to see it, but then they have their own. And so I think, I think communication is key. In, early, in the earlier the conversation, you know, Utah said communication with the customer and planning, and, and that's all part of it. And because, you know, sometimes he says, okay, we got to dive. Well, you shut that job down for four hours while you go meet and resolve all those issues. And so mm -hmm. I'm sure he's, he's lived that a hundred times <laughs> over where he said, boy, if we could have talked about this a week ago, we could have solved all this. Is that right, Utah? So many times. So many times, especially when they have very specific or different requirements, things, forms, and information that they need. If I have to come up with it last minute or they hit me with something I'm not aware about, we have to have a special meeting. Mm. Um, yeah, all that all that takes time. So Tyler, these, these screens, they sit in a, in, a, in a square hole out in a big concrete deck most of the time. And so the, the, we, we dive all over the United States and every one of them is unique and different. Some of them built back in the 30s, some built recently, but entry to the water is totally different from manholes to ladders to how do you get to the bottom. And so all that has to be lined out before you can ever uh, in, you know, have access. So, so when you go, you, you, there's, just, you, there's just a hundred scenarios that you have to go through your mind to say, what if, what if, what if, what if. So, so it, it, it's pretty impressive to watch our crews go in and work with the plants and solve all these problems in very short periods of times and do it safely. Right, right. Yeah, that 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 to me, I think is is the most impressive thing is going in and, you know, uh, working with the the customer and working at, at these plants to understand exactly what their needs are and then what the job is at that point and how they can solve those problems and, and solve those issues. I think that that is particularly incredible and just having the preparation beforehand to know that whatever the the potential outcome might be, that you're prepared and that you're ready to go to to meet whatever challenges are presented. 
And I'll add one other thing that that's uh, it, it. And I've been on a, a lot of intakes while the guys were working, and then they had to dive. And it's and the thing that sticks out to me about these guys is they is is they they have different modes. They have their topside mode, and then it's fun for me to watch when they have to dive. All of a sudden, three guys that that were say millwright functioning, then they each go into the dive mode, and one's a, one is a is a tender. One's at the comm, one is the diver, and they have their responsibilities, and they almost morph into these different people that, that have these responsibilities, and they take them extremely serious because the guy's life is on the line. And so mm-hmm. every one of them have to do it, have a function, and I've been an outsider sometime, and I have to, you know, and I'll kind of try to step in to, to watch, and, they're, you know, and they'll kind of <laughs> ease me back like, we got this this is you know this is serious so right. so i mean kudos to them for taking it safely but but maybe maybe utah can add to that because it, it, they go into a different mode when they start diving yeah yeah I, it's an absolute it's like it becomes automatic we become more focused and less less concerned with other people and more concerned with what we're doing specifically i spend a significant amount of time contemplating the what ifs and making sure that those what ifs don't happen because I'm the guy on site who's responsible for that guy's life in the water. And uh, it, it's all about focus. And I, I, you know, I gained some great respect for these guys through the years because I've been around when, when things had the potential to get tense in my super in the supervisors, they, they step into another gear and it's, it's not, they almost become like an emergency room doctor that it's, that's saying, okay, we got to do this. We got to do this. And they do it very calmly. And so I have a lot of respect for what they do. Utah, how long, I mean, was it, was it an immediate thing? As soon as you stepped into this industry, you, you understood that, you know, and that switch immediately started to flip anytime you went into dive mode, or was that something that maybe you developed over the years? You just saw, you know, and, and through experience, you know, picked up a lot uh, from the industry. And, and so then you, you knew at a certain point, okay, this is where our switch flips. We go into dive mode and, you know, things change. And, you know, we, we kind of enter into this different mindset. Was that something that you already knew or was that something maybe you've developed a little bit more over the years? I would say it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I graduated dive school, um, I, you know, and went straight into the deep water diving industry, um, we're diving all day, every day. And everybody understands when they get there that you have a very specific role to, uh, to fill. And um, your responsibilities are very specific. And everybody has their own specific set of responsibilities. And that's because when things go sideways, and they can, everybody, everybody does exactly what they're supposed to do. right? And so it just kind of developed more over the years, especially we have... Uh, versus, you know, when we worked in deep water diving, let's say we had 30 people on a boat and we had more personnel resources, right? Mm-hmm. So um, doing what we do, there's four or five or six of us versus 30. And um, it's even more important that everybody does exactly what they're supposed to do and everybody's on the same page. So I think it developed uh, more over the course of years um, doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm incredibly fascinated and intrigued by by what you do and in 
um, you know, the jobs that you perform and, and how you're able to go about doing these jobs. And you mentioned that, you know, sometimes things don't always go exactly the way that you, you expect them to. So I, I want to hear some stories just from, from your experiences, Utah. So have there any, have there been any bizarre or unusual things that you have found in a water intake or, or anything along those lines? Have, have you seen anything just, uh, just crazy when you, when you've dive uh, when you dive down there? I've seen enough crazy things that to me, nothing really is crazy anymore. Um, I've seen things, uh, things you wouldn't expect to see in places you wouldn't expect to see them. Uh, mattresses and all manner of man-made objects, children's toys, uh, all kinds of cr- uh, trash. Um, recently, well, it's been a little while now, but um, we were doing a job in, uh, we were doing a swamp job. You know, you get to deal with alligators on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, you're underwater doing your thing. And um, the guys that are standing there watching topside handling life support can watch, you know, a 12-foot alligator sneak up behind you. And, uh, to us, it, it can be unsettling, but it, it's, um, it's part of the job. Well, no part of alligators. I'm just. I'll, t- I'll tell you that right now. That, that is. Uh, that is not for me. So you. You are a braver man than I am. Uh, so, uh, what, what are some of the most challenging projects or types of projects uh, that that you encounter on a on a regular basis? Um, things that maybe present challenges or, or things along those lines, and, and why are they so challenging? Um. I think some of the more challenging jobs are some of the things on a common basis is where we were trying to troubleshoot, uh, troubleshoot a problem and um, or make a repair. And uh, it has complicating factors like um, there's, say, we're working in, in the Mississippi River and the current is crazy. Um, the water's deep, um, limited visibility, limited access to a location, limited uh, access to a building or a hole or uh, limited access to the water. All these things add up to make a job that on the face of it is, is really simple. Um, it gets really complicated. Uh, the deeper the water, the less time I have. I've only got three or four guys, maybe five guys. Um, each of us only have, say, 30 minutes in the water. You know, It's all depth dependent. Figuring out bits and pieces of a of a problem uh rotating through guys it, it gets pretty difficult other jobs are challenging because they're large in scope there could be multiple phases to a project we could be doing two or three screens that were taken out three going back in they could be in pieces the old ones might not want to come out you know because they've been in there 40 years and they're rusted in place um there could be a lot of different objects, problems that we have to solve before we can continue. Having said that, uh, those are the projects that, that uh, I prefer. Those are my favorite mm. types because they're so challenging, because I have to use my brain and think it through. And um, I have to line out goals, project goals over, say, a month-long project mm-hmm. um, or whether it be daily goals or uh, however it falls out. 
Yeah, that was that was going to be my follow up question. Was you know what are your favorite types uh, of commercial diving work that you do? But it sounds like you, you enjoy that challenge and that process of of problem solving and really getting to the root of okay, what is the problem and how can we solve it? Um, so it sounds like those types of projects, while while challenging, are also the ones that you really enjoy. Absolutely, I think it's um they're the more rewarding ones. Mm. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, when you when you ask that question, favorite type of dive work, I mean. Uh, it's, uh, I would say 90% of the, what they do is zero visibility. So, and so they're working in a, in a steel box, basically, uh, feeling their way around and, and, and it's like blindfolding your, and, and, and telling you to put a bicycle together. And so these guys have this ability to do that. So to me, yeah, if I were them, I would think those those rare trips when they get to go work in Florida when when the visibility is thirty feet, <laughs> they they just ought to feel like they're in heaven because they can see what they're doing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah. Every now and then there's one of those jobs in crystal clear water and and there's fish everywhere and everything's beautiful and <laughs> the stars line up and everything. And, and they're pi- out, and but... they're piping they're piping and they're piping music down to your hat and you're just yeah, singing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> You've got the Beach Boys rocking, and you've got clear blue water, and you're like, oh, this is great. Steady living the dream. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, you know, everyone needs one of those uh, every so often. No, that, that, that makes sense, though. And, uh, yeah, I, w- I was never very good at uh, pin the tail on the donkey or, uh, or pinatas as a kid. So, uh, you know, the, the whole not being able to see thing, uh, that just that blows me away. That's, that's absolutely amazing that you guys are able to do that uh, with such regularity in, uh, in what you do. Um, and one, yeah. other th- one of the other thing that for, from a challenge is whatever the, the mechanical or physical challenge that they have, when, when, they, when they can stay on the intake and work all day and very few people come out. But when somebody says they're diving, everybody wants to come out. So, so, so many times they got to work with, with people over their shoulders watching. So they always, always have an audience and they ask a lot of questions. So, so it's, it, it very similar to working with a little stress because you have an audience watching. Is that right, Utah? Uh, That's absolutely (laughs) correct. And it's, it's even, uh, it's funny to me because everybody wants to come out and you know, you've got a crowd of people, um, who, Either they have nothing better to do, they've never seen it, they're really interested, and they all want to come out and see what's going on. And um, after about the first five minutes, once that man leaves the surface, there's nothing to see. (laughs) (laughs) There's absolutely nothing to see. And um, there's really nothing to listen to, because I always put my headphones uh, on, because there's only one person really that is important to me at that moment in time, and that's the guy in the water. Mm -hmm. And uh, people, people think there's a lot to see, and then they get bored because there's nothing for them to see and they leave. Yep, that, that makes sense. Goes under the water and uh, show's over, folks. <laughs> yeah, once he's gone, he's gone. <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. But that's when the real work starts for you, it sounds like. And that's when, uh, that's when things are, are, you know, of utmost importance. Yep, that's when we change gears. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, for you know, what what are Atlas SSI's uh, services that require commercial diving and screen expertise? You know, what are some of these things that uh, that require uh, Utah's expertise? So, so in a in a in a perfect world, say if you we shipped a screen back to a customer, uh, and in a brand new machine, they pull the old one out, they go to set it in the hole, 
you never know. It doesn't matter if it's six inches of mud in the well or six feet of mud. It has to come out of there in order that piece of equipment. So, so they always have to be there for new screens. And the same with a rebuild. Customers have parts, and so they, they have to repair a machine in the field. And so they have to go down. So in almost every phase of it, whether you have to dive or not, you have to be prepared to, to dive if there is an issue. So, so a lot of times we will send, uh, not a lot, but, but uh, occasionally we will send a topside crew into work if we are positive there's not going to be any diving. Because almost 90% of the time when you go to work on a screen, you have to be prepared to dive. You could even go to install a screen on a job and at the end of the job somebody could drop a wrench in the well and you can't run that machine until that wrench is pulled out of the well so almost mm. in every every case you have to have that uh, the ability to dive you never know right that, that's my favorite moment right <laughs> at the end of a job and it's happened more, <laughs> more than once you know you're finishing up uh some work on the inside of the machine and Next thing you know, you can hear ping, 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 splash. <laughs> Look over and somebody's standing there shaking their head. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> set up dive gear. <laughs> is, it, is it always the same person that drops the wrench or is it different people? No, nah, it's, it's, it's different people. Okay, okay, good, good. E- e- even the supervisors occasionally oh, yeah. do it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm worried that if I was on site, I would always be the person that drops the thing and everyone just look over and be like, no, that's Tyler, you know, just <laughs> always dropping stuff. So, you know, uh, uh, n- notorious dropper over here. Uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, you guys are located uh, in, the, in the southeast in, in what I refer to as SEC country. Um, and, uh, if you don't know what that means, brush up on, on college football, but, uh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, is that where these services are most needed in a geographic sense? Or I know you guys go all over the country, but are, are a lot of your jobs located kind of in that Southeast area? No, you, you, no. you can, uh, you could take a map and do population and you could ju- you could, wherever the most populated areas from the Northeast to the, to the Midwest. And so no, we it it it's uh, we go uh, we we we've got a crew right now in New York, uh, Chicago area, Florida. So yeah, they're all over. There's 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 no rhyme or reason to where you may get called to, right, Utah? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I work all over the country, all times of the year. I've been to Canada. I've been out west on the west coast to work, um, the Midwest. That literally everywhere. And and anybody that's using raw water. Uh, they have there are thousands and thousands and thousands of our machines out there everywhere they are we need to be right right absolutely uh so ford i kind of want to start to wrap up with this you know you mentioned earlier just how uh incredible these guys are and how they don't get enough respect and attention and you wanted to kind of thank them for what they do and draw some attention to what they do and so uh, you know what makes what utah and his his service crews and the, the atlas ssi service crews uh, the leaders in this industry and kind of just brag on these guys as as they perform their 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 jobs and go about what they do for uh, for the company well, you know, you got you got three, four, five guys that that are that travel to a, to a job in in a in a truck, and then they basically live together two, three weeks, months at a time, and and they when they get to the job, they're always professional. They always get the job done, and so I mean, and they don't have an easy job. I mean, you know, you know, there's been 
uh, jobs that, that he's done or these guys do that that go real smooth and that's 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 the not the norm i mean we have you you get to the job site and you get ready to to put a put a party in and all of a sudden you you realize that that, that maybe uh, we didn't send the exact right piece or a piece of hardware so so these guys then got to go to the customer and, and they gotta they gotta manipulate the customer they gotta manage their crews uh, you know, they miss their wives, they work at Christmas, they do all these different things. And that's that's not easy to do and keep a smile on your face and service the customer. So it take it takes a, a, a special breed of guys. I mean, call them road, road warriors, whatever you want to call them. But, but they, they have a kind of a thankless job. And, and we as managers probably don't pick up the phone and, and thank them enough because they travel probably. Utah, how many days did you travel last year? <laughs> I, I live on the road. Um, okay. I, I couldn't I couldn't even tell you. So say oh three hundred and thirty out of three hundred and sixty five days. Wow. Yeah. So so I mean it's and and and, and we, we and you know, I'll be the first to say occasionally we take them for granted because we're in the office, we're doing our job and going and going and going and so you know, and it takes a, a whole team to, to do their job and make the effort from truck drivers to the service crews to our to our great shop guys and, and, and the sales support and so it in and, and uh, so it's a communication thing and so but but you know, you, our service crews are are a part of what uh, we're known for, mm-hmm. and we're proud of that. And so, um, you know, like I said, I'd, I'll take this opportunity to tell all the guys because they'll listen to this podcast, every one of you. I appreciate what you do. Oh, well, we appreciate it. <laughs> you know, and it really it really is a team effort, though, Ford. Um, we couldn't do our jobs if, if people in Louisiana and Mississippi didn't do theirs, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's it's teamwork and it's partnership. That's right. Absolutely, and I think that that's when when things work best, when everybody knows and understands their role and appreciates the the people um, that are doing jobs different from them, and uh, and everybody knows exactly how they fit into the puzzle and and what it takes to create a, a successful outcome. And so, uh, it sounds like you guys have that nailed down and uh, and really understand the strengths of the other parties and uh, and how that all works together. And so, it's been an absolute pleasure getting a chance to talk to you guys today, uh, Ford Wall and Robert Marr, aka Utah from Atlas SSI. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of The Intake. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for tuning into this episode. Uh, it's been a blast having you. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of The Intake, so make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. <laughs>